hey everyone and welcome to My Dog Ate My Email, a podcast all about email from the DMA. I'm your host, Lily Boev, Director of Client Success at Vuture. And today I have the pleasure of introducing Dan Lack, the Head of Digital at Growth Track, and Elliot Ross, CEO of Taxi for Email. Welcome to both of you to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So to kick us off, Dan, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do and, and how you got into email? I think, like a lot of people, probably stumbled into it by accident many, many years ago when I, um, I was actually working in publishing at the time. And one of the things that we always had to do in, in publishing was kind of justify what your output was based on what you were returning, you were turning in. And it was very much a print-based business. And the beauty of digital meant that you got that kind of instant response. You got a bit of reporting back. You could see who was doing what and more so who was clicking on what and who was engaging with this and that. And for advertisers, that was quite a big thing. And we just decided that we would do it via uh, this kind of newfangled newsletter scenario. Um, bought into an ESP, longest customer, I think, of that ESP, because we still have it to this day. Um, and it, it kind of went from there. And then all the, the kind of funky nuances of designing for email as you kind of learn to do it and you become more of an advocate for it and an ambassador for it. You kind of stick with it and then, you know, start to fly the flag for it. And yeah, just, just from there, really. That's it. Fantastic. And what about your, your current role? What do you... What does your role So, have? yeah, it's a bit, a bit of a mixed bag. A lot of kind of managed email in the past so for the past kind of 10 years a lot of managed email for clients um whether that be kind of delivery and deployment design reporting strategy everything that kind of falls into the mix but one of the things that a lot of um the clients that certainly we deal with are after are kind of that kind of design element to make that email work deliver the message be compatible with you know whatever client they're using and I think that's where there's a little bit of a kind of uh, shortfall in the industry because it's not print it's not web it kind of sits somewhere in the middle and unless you kind of understand all those nuances as things move along um, you kind of struggle so a lot of it is kind of producing the output that, that goes into those emails. Great thank you. Elliot what about what about you how did, how did you get into the industry and uh, tell us a little bit about what what you do where I started an email I was trying to work this out actually um so I've worked an email a, a long time probably too long by now I was uh, so I kind of left uni as a designer and went around and did lots of freelancing around different agencies and that kind of thing and I ended up landing at an agency where um we had the account for they changed their name all the time but the basically the group that owns a lot of bars like Tiger Tiger and a bunch of other bars in London that are all owned by the same people but they don't really admit to it. Late Night UK or Yeah, Late Night London London was was what it was called at the time and uh, I was the kind of youngest junior designer there and everyone else was doing all the kind of sexy websites and it was when viral marketing was the big thing so that that kind of dates it and they were all off going doing flash and that kind of stuff and I just got left doing all the email stuff as the kind of uh, yeah the, the person who was just given the work to do sort of thing. Um, so I ended up doing that and then um, did that for a couple of years, went and freelanced some more and then went and um, covered someone at eDialogue, which was one of the big ESPs. Eventually it sort of turned into Zeta Global as it is now. And um, I went to cover someone for two weeks when she was on holiday and ended up staying there for six years, <laughs> um, which is a lot of people in email end up doing stuff like that. Um, and then after then, that was sort of 2012, went um, freelance, and then that sort of turned into an agency called Action Rocket, um, which is a creative agency. 
does sort of focuses on email, um, sort of creative and then strategy and, and design and HTML. Um, and then after that, we kind of realized that we were doing a lot of work and then we were giving it to marketers and then they were kind of getting stuck updating it from a sort of weekly basis. So that's kind of how we ended up building Taxi, mm. I suppose, which is kind of way for everyone on the team to, to make email better. Yeah, so that's a kind of roundabout way of how I've ended up here, I suppose. With this with this episode, uh, what we're going to be talking about is email creative. So you both, based on the descriptions of how you got into email and what you do, creative definitely seems to form a big part of what, what you do. And I know certainly from the work that you've both been doing in the email in practice hub, that is, again, a pretty big part of it. So the whole point of this episode is really to, to give some opinions, perhaps some takeaways for sure, and, and a little bit of naming and possibly a little bit of shaming perhaps throughout this uh, this conversation. So to, to kick us off with the conversation, Dan, why don't you tell us a bit about why you think email creative is, is so important? Like what is a, what about email creative is so important to the industry? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think the thing with uh, creative in any guise is that the, the idea behind any creative is to kind of depict a message visually. And so what you're trying to do is convey what you want to say in a way that kind of stands out, grabs people's attention, engages, that kind of thing. Um, and email is no different in that. It's just another medium to, to kind of deliver a message. However, it, it kind of has its own set of rules dependent on so many different variables that you need to not only understand kind of creative and not only understand how to kind of construct that in a succinct manner that you can get your point across because again email it's very limited the space you've got but also you need to understand the difference between the various browsers you need to take into consideration what various ESPs might allow you to do the capabilities of your design team and the issue that it's had over the years or certainly that, that I've encountered and, and it's been kind of evolving and I will stress that top-end brands and agencies that are really investing into email won't suffer the same kind of problems because they're really investing into that into that channel. So they're, they're, they're bringing in the skill sets and the teams that, that can develop that. But certainly, and you might find this at SME level and, and, and B2B, there are still too many occasions where the email creative is slightly undervalued should we say uh, slightly it's a really big. polite yeah. way of putting it <laughs> so this is quite polite we're so. still kicking off the the conversation so it's just staying polite yeah, that's it well yeah we'll we'll as you said we'll shame a bit later but um the idea that people are still throwing it to the it guys or to the web guy oh we need an email just you know knock this up we want in what are we 2019 where, where email is proven to be such a an effective channel is a little bit crazy um and i think that's just the way that it's kind of evolved to, you know. And so from a point of view of where we sit, certainly on the council, when we're trying to put the, the, the output from the hub together and, and in our lives trying to create, you know, emails and, and, and manage strategy for, for clients and evolve their practices and what they're delivering, the importance of, of kind of telling people that actually email creative is its own animal and it can be as great as you want it to be, but it can be as bad as it can be if you don't make it great. And it's really important that people understand it as when you talk about email creative, it is its own thing. It's not web design. It's not print design. It's not social media graphics. It is an actual email. There's code. There's a construct. There are rules that you need to follow. And on top of all of that, you need to have this great creative. So you need the great creative 
to kind of marry up with this rules and this construct. So it's as much as it's kind of codey and techy at times, it's very much design led and the better results come from the the better design. You know, that's that's just a fact. So I think it's really important that 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 kind of we are able to convey the importance of of email creative and that it is kind of its own thing. And that's what we're trying to do at the hub by evolving that kind of best practice where people are set to a table and a nested table and no none of these background images here and you can't do this, you can't do that. Actually, there's a lot you can do and there's a lot that's moving on with email creative and that really takes it to another level. Yeah, I think the the challenge you have as well is that, you know, why why creative in email is so important is because we send so much of it. If we're sending email every week, some cases every day, you know, we're having a conversation with people at the end of the day, we're conveying a message to them. And if you're trying to say the same message every week, you need to be creative about how you do it. Like that's kind of a given. Otherwise, you end up just saying the same thing over and over again in the same way and people won't engage with it. So creativity is, is vital in, in that kind of to the success of what we want to do. It's the ambassador for email, really, isn't it? It's yes, the, yeah, the yeah. bit that you see, all of the stuff that goes behind the scenes around deciding what content goes in or the strategy behind it or the audience or the segmentation or any of the technical aspects, that's irrelevant if the design that people actually see is not relevant, it's not interesting, it's not designed well, the photography's crap, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, at the end of the day, it has to be interesting to people, right? Like, you know, I know the deliverability guys will say, you know, deliverability is most important and if it's if it doesn't get in the inbox, then people won't get it. But equally... If you, you get into the inbox and it's irrelevant or not useful or not engaging for people, it doesn't look then very it doesn't good. matter anyway. Yeah. Well, that's the that's that that old argument, isn't it? it? Was the visual stimuli is the thing that is going to convert the person at the end of the day? And there's always this kind of kind of balancing act. And it's it's another thing when you go down and you talk about kind of email best practices. That on one hand, I know there's this whole area around deliverability, and I also know that certain things that I do within this email, within the creative and the subject lines, can affect that deliverability so forget servers forget any of the transport any of that we're just talking purely creative there are things that i can do in creative which will it is known it's not universally compatible it's Mm. going to affect delivery it's going to affect inbox placement however if i do all that my email is going to look amazing like amazing and i'm going to engage more people from this fantastic email if i make it great than if i make it so that I'm 100% sure it's going to land in... Well, you can never be 100% sure, but you know what I mean? So that it's going to land in the inbox. However, if they all land in the inbox, as Elliot quite said, and it's boring, it could get lost even in the inbox or just not... So you've got that balance as, do I risk a little bit of non-inbox placement and go amazing and people are engaged with it? Or do I, you know, forget the grade so much and I'm just going to make sure it goes to the inbox and, and hope. So it's it's one of those kind of balancing acts. Um, and then, you know, when you do take into consideration, again, Elliot's point that there's so much, there is loads of email going out. Um, GDPR or no GDPR, there is email all the time. Your inboxes are full, offers, promotions, um, kind of notifications, support, whatever it is. If you want to stand out amongst that traffic, your creative has got to be pretty good. Absolutely. Well, actually, I mean, you could also argue that actually having a good creative increases engagement and given the way that especially consumer inboxes and actually um, I reckon even B2B inboxes are kind of getting that way. The higher the engagement, the more likely it's going to be delivered. So actually Mm. it is really important. 100%. It's about that brand relationship at the end of the day, right? And 
the more creative, the better engaging our work is, the better the relationship with the end user. That means better engagement in terms of deliverability and all of that kind of stuff. So it does all feed back. We've talked about why it's important. And I think there's no real argument that email creative is important. So what is good email creative? I mean, we, could, we probably don't have enough time to spend <laughs> to go through everything. But in your experience, what, what is what is good email creative? I think it's a combination of, of kind of two things. Like successful email, we're kind of freed, you know, creativity, if you're not careful, you end up getting into the world of art and we're not creating a piece of art, we're creating a piece of design. And a piece of design is something that solves a problem. And if you think about those problems that we're solving, it, it's really for, for two people. It's, it's for the business or the organisation, but it's also for the, the user and the, the audience, the recipient. So really good email creative should be something that works for both. It should be something that delivers the results and shifts whatever it is you're trying to sell or you know whatever goal it is you're trying to achieve as a business. But equally, the, the user should feel that they are getting really good value they're getting a great experience and that can manifest you know if you kind of take those two roles uh, rules those that kind of manifests all the way down into really kind of tactical approaches so that kind of goes into your copy making sure that the copy works um and and is uh not only on brand and on kind of message for your company but also in a way that that works for the user and it's quite easy you do see it quite often when the sort of business words creep out into into the coffee and you're like actually that's you know I always find the word content shouldn't be used in front of real people it's okay in front <laughs> of marketers but um and and it goes through to the design as well and then even things like accessibility um you know this is all vitally important stuff and there's different ways that we can improve the code and improve the design to be more accessible but that's all about um delivering a great experience so really good good email creative is the kind of all of the different facets of what we should be doing, we should be doing the best best of that. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think <laughs> it one hundred percent is down to those those two key points, and I don't think we can kind of underestimate people's perception of what's coming through, and it, that needs to be on brand, and it needs to deliver that experience that people expect with your brand. So when you go right to the top of three, some of the top kind of brands in retail. Um, you know, you'll see their email creative will be really, really engaging, highly designed, highly specced. Um, they'll use some of these new kind of techniques where they can have real-time content or kind of, you know, just bits and pieces that just like kind of make you think and, and really engage with you. Take that down a bit further to, to some of some smaller brands or, or B2B. They try and implement those elements and they're struggling with kind of, as we said, kind of what the end user is actually seeing whether it's placed in the inbox, whether things are actually showing, whether the format works in every kind of client uh, that, that people are viewing it in. And, and when things start to break like that, you can very easily destroy not just that kind of bit of marketing that you're sending out, but, but your brand, your, your people's perception of you. You know, oh, they've sent this thing out and it's all lined to the right and there's broken images and all that. It just makes you look a lot less of an organization than you would have done if you, if you got it right. So creative is 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 so important and also just understanding how to make sure that that creative gets to the end in the guise that you wanted to go to bearing in mind that ah uh, if you take web design as an example um because it's probably the closest thing to email production in that it 
uses HTML code, it, it kind of renders, it, it references images, all the kind of things that web designers have been playing with for years. But web designers have a much more fluid set of tools at their disposal. They can use bits of code, they can reference to external style sheets all they like, they can use scripting, and they can make things really jump in front of your eyes as you're kind of immersed and engaged in their site. With email, we don't have that kind of smorgasbord, if that's even a word, of tools. We have a certain amount of tools that work in a certain amount of email clients. And even more so important is that you're playing with four browsers in web design, yet they get updated, but every browser's fighting to display the latest thing. That's all they want to do. They just want to fight. I'm the best browser. I'm the best browser. And you update the browser. So it's an update across the board. When it comes to email and email clients, mm. it is the bane of our lives. I mean, you must know with with, mm. with your platform, there are literally hundreds of variants of, of email clients and every single one of them does something totally, totally different. Is, you know, if you go onto some of the big uh, kind of uh, forums out there, like you look at companies like Litmus, Email and Acid, some of the kind of bigger ESPs, they have literally charts with little formatting ticks to say, hey, this will work in this browser, this browser, not this one, and this one, and, this, and they're all ticked. And the charts are like 30 rows long, and that's just a set of common browsers. <laughs> that's and, the latest ones, yes, yeah, exactly. the ones from the past. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. And that doesn't even take into consideration the devices and the capability of those. And then is someone on 4G or are they on mm. Wi-Fi? Or, and it's, it's kind of crazy to think that even in 2019, there's like two or three fonts that have been added to email compatibility <laughs> since the seven that came with Outlook 2007. And those are the kind of design constraints that you have. And then you'll go and see one of the biggest brands on the planet will send out something and you'll look at it, oh my God, that's beautiful. It's all images. It's just these fonts are amazing. But they don't, they're not so bothered whether it didn't render for thinking over mm. there because they've got millions of people on their email list. Mm. They are who they are. You know, it's, it's, it's a different thing. So all these things together make this like a really, it's a really tough kind of environment to be in, depending on where you kind of sit in the food chain of, of kind of email creative. So when you say what makes good email creative, yes, it's conveying the message to the end user, your result, and it's making sure from the company's point of view that everything looks great and it's on brand. And mm. being able to do that is the challenge because you really have to know your subject and your audience and, and, and kind of what you're doing. And there's lots of tools out there that will give you reporting back on the devices and the browsers that your that your biggest audience members are picking up on. But sometimes even that is too big a varied pie to to be able to to turn around and say, yeah, I'm a hundred percent sure that this will work. Or no, we've got to do it in Times New Roman. I think that's interesting because you said looks great. You didn't say looks the same. So well, I think that's, that's, that's an approach that we should be perhaps adopting a bit more as marketers. And I get that, you know, there will be someone in the financial sector saying, we design an email, and then it gets, gets signed off by the lawyers, and it's, it can't look any different to that in any circumstances. And okay, we'll park that for a second. But, um, you know, even the conceit of responsive design is that it will look different on phones. It will look mm -hmm. better for yeah. that device, but it will look different to what it does on a desktop. So one thing that um, and, and like you said, you know, email does sit in between print and, and the web. Um, but one thing that we do have, I think, in email is historically the work that we do in email would have been done in DM, right? That's the kind of 
you know, stuff that has been done in the past, 15, 20 years ago, we'd have been sending, we'd have been working in a print shop mm-hmm. and, and doing work there. Um, so that work has transitioned into DM. And yeah, in that example, you know, my first kind of agency job was moving some of those print projects into, into email. Um, now what happened is a lot of the kind of best practice for DM came along with it. And actually these days, I think we should be looking more to what, towards what, um, you know, perhaps we should be looking at social and, and places like that for if people are engaging on a phone in social, then they should perhaps be engaging in email in a more similar way to that than they would perhaps in DM. But in, in terms of our approach, I think we need to think about this idea that it can look different as well. I think we should embrace that. And the kind of conceit of DM is you print it once and it looks the same for everyone because that's how DM works, right? Yeah. And yeah, you might get a bit of bleed or whatever. But just to show the DM people I know a little bit about print. Um, but um, on the whole, it will look the same. Whereas when it's email, it will look different. And that's something we need to we need to live with and, and adapt with. Because if we do want to make email look the same everywhere, we're basically stuck with what we can do in Outlook because that's our kind of lowest common denominator. But, Dan, you mentioned there's a lot of these charts, and that's true. And you see the overall trend, Outlook, especially the desktop um, versions of Outlook that use Word to render HTML, which is a whole other discussion, but um, the the usage of those is decreasing, even in B2B, which is the, the place where people say over Outlook, you know, the most. Um, so in, in some cases, that's less than 10%. So that's great. We can now design really great email for 90%, and we can still make sure the message gets across for the other 10%. But email doesn't have to look the same everywhere. We can do a great experience for these guys. And we can do a completely acceptable experience for, for the rest. And no one is going to sit down and go, well, I saw this email in Outlook. And then I saw it on my phone. And it was completely different. And therefore, I'm not going to buy this product because that's not how people work. So it doesn't matter anyway that it looks different. So I think sometimes our kind of hang up that we get about it looking the same is, is almost our own. Well, what's the likelihood really of someone opening it on two different devices and well, seeing exactly, the difference? Yeah. I mean, well, really, I mean, really, I tend to only read an email once, yeah. and I'm either going to action it or I'm not. Yeah, and, and occasionally someone will come up with a survey, and you do see some knocking around, but they invariably survey about 100 people, which doesn't really... <laughs> <laughs> not exactly statistically yeah, significant. Exactly. But I think you raise a really good point, and, and I think the 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 comment around social mm. and the influence that's having, generally speaking, I think there's certainly been a trend of some kind of more simple emails, yes, more yes. white space, less copy, less, you know, more or better use of images mm. and better use of photography, especially when you do have a product that can be photographed. I mean, certainly with some of the industries I work in, it, this, that photography piece isn't going to really happen, so you've got to rely on maybe stock images, which I'm sure, sure. there's opinions, but I think it's a really, but, really yeah, good point. I think social is interesting because it's it's forced marketers, you know, the, not necessarily email marketers, but people in the marketing team to work out how to get a message across really quickly with a, less than fewer than 140 characters and one image or one short video. Mm-hmm. And if they can get whatever message it is across there, we can learn from them bring that into email um, so we're not sending five paragraph big letters like we used to or sometimes we still do. massively helpful because, you know, traditionally we had a problem. You talked about, you know, Microsoft um, 
word being mm. the way that HMS went, there was a point when a certain, I think it was 1200 pit, the thing cut in half yes, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, which was like a killer for anyone trying yeah. to design any kind of newsletter, certainly some of these long B2B shipping forecasts or, mm. or legal emails or whatever, that, that used to be a real problem. But I think you're right that the, when you, you asked before what makes good email creative, and you talk about you know the, the introduction of social, understanding your medium is, is a vital part of anything. And you only have a certain amount of um, kind of screen space to grab someone's attention. Even though that email browser, I mean, you can scroll and scroll and scroll, much mm. like you can on a website. But really and truly, no one's scrolling down these long emails. And actually, the, the, the reason why social is, can be so powerful and effective is because it is so short and snappy and, and punchy. And so email, which hasn't evolved at anywhere near the pace that social media has, even though it's been around for, for you know, infinitely longer, needs to kind of take a, take a lead from social because, you know, I mean, my kids and certainly even kind of older than that, they don't really get the whole email thing because their mm. life is social and everything is now. You know, they don't know what something is. They would go up to your laptop that you've got on the desk there and touch the screen, expecting it to move. And if it didn't, they'd think it was broken because that's all they know. So they've grown up with this kind of thing. And email needs to kind of evolve if it's going to keep engaging with these new audiences. Unfortunately, the only evolution we have in things like the clients um, are things like, oh, well, you can now put your messages in threads or hit the snooze <laughs> button. No one's ever turned around and go, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if we made this be able to process the most insane amount of graphic and mm. pull this up. I, Gmail are trying to do it by taking the images out and putting them back in. And, and I mean, that's its own animal. And again, like yeah. you say, these are other conversations to have. But it's taking those cues. And then so if you relate that back to what is good email creative, actually forgetting the medium itself but just being able to create good punchy creative in what is deliver a message in the shortest kind of space of time or the shortest visual representation that's a great way to behave an email it, that take, really works. take instagram and twitter right the two most popular social media channels what do, what are they known for sending notes that are 140 characters long mm. and images mm. yeah 100%. so if you've got more than 140 characters for one of your messages and you have a really poor looking image it's not going to work you need to have mm. both for that to work and and the best emails i've seen definitely kind of follow that that kind of suit yeah. so so to, talk to me about what you've seen in terms of evolution of email and and the and the design and kind of where we maybe started with and what has fallen off the radar and isn't really in use anymore <laughs> well i think you know it's you see a lot more movement in email these days um which is one thing that that I suppose happens with the evolution of someone working out that you can put an animated GIF in an email. And I think the minute someone said, oh, GIFs are supported, it was everywhere. Every single, instead of laying out all different product views, you would get an email and it would like tick, 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 and it would just flick through that, that GIF. And that went a bit crazy. And then, you know, it was Christmas time, all the snows, everyone's email had snow falling down on it. And then, I mean, it went all the way through to we were getting amazing emails from like the BBC where you go underwater. And, do, and I think that the movement and the animation really did kind of capture, I think, I'm guessing it was a load of people sitting in a creative room thinking, oh my God, I'm so bored. These emails are driving me nuts. Can I please just do something fun? Like, oh, look, I can make this move. And then, it, and then someone turns around, like you say, where we had to do all those fallbacks. And it's like, right, make sure everything you want in that GIF is in the first screen. Because if Outlook can't process it and you've got your sale message in the third screen, they're not going to see it. And you've got all that. But as it became more of a 
more, more acceptable and more universal, emails just kind of jumped off the screen a little bit more. And the great thing about it was we managed to bypass all those horrible kind of gradient hover buttons and all those nasty things that were in web design for so long because it, we couldn't do it. Mm. Email wouldn't take it. So email's always been nice and crisp and clean, albeit a little bit dull. And so it's kind of lost all that stuff, <laughs> gone straight to this kind of lovely modern look. But now we've got, we've got that movement and that engagement. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Like you mentioned the BBC email the um was it a blue planet yeah scrolling email. Down, yeah um now the interesting thing about that um and i was involved in it a little bit was it's it's just gifs and background mm. images and and good creative and, and a good message on the face of it we uh, can and i probably should talk about technology you know there's sort of gmail has has released some new stuff this amp for gmail is is interesting but in its infancy and and has its own challenges but there's also um you know, the sort of live imagery type stuff. Um, there are other ways of doing interactive email, things like carousels and things mm-hmm. like that. But if you go back to that BBC email, it's it's great creative, it's a great yeah. message, mm-hmm. and it's supported by fairly archaic technology, but it, it gets the message across, and arguably it's more successful than something that pulls in lots of different technology kind of for the sake of it, um, but doesn't actually solve the problem of, of communication. Well, it got to the point, the whole point as you scroll, for the, for just for the listeners mm. that may not be aware of what we're talking about, the BBC released an email, it probably would have been about three years ago, in line with the blue, the original Blue Planet, yes, where as yeah. you scroll through the email, you get taken deeper and deeper into the sea. So everything in the email gets darker and darker. Yeah, and it kind of said, like, once you're whatever, 2,000 feet down, then these are the fish that you see and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it was just... It tied in so nicely with the actual program itself and the whole point of it. And I think that it wasn't just about the creative, but the strategy behind it aligned mm. with the program. And everyone was talking about this this program. And I think that was why it was so powerful. I mean, it's certainly memorable. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And this is the comical thing, as you said. It's quite archaic. If you look at the technology itself, if you look at what people are doing on the web and landing pages and social, it's 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 gifs. It's literally, and they've been around for is it gif gif? Yes. Or however people pronounce it, they've been around for ages. But it's just a great way of using it. And actually, the the great thing about email, kind of adopting everything a bit late and everything else, is that there's a, a kind of batch of designers working on email that are gonna understand not to overkill you know mm. yeah, and you absolutely. talk about carousels for example the google carousels mm. i mean this is something that is literally done to death on the web i mean yeah. people are oh, can i have a carousel can i have a carousel no one's sitting watching your carousels no one's <laughs> hanging on a website and going right i'll just sit here for eight seconds ten seconds you know, i'll keep going let's read your lovely it's way. usually more swear words involved because you yes. miss the one the one that yeah. you actually wanted and there's, you have to wait there's a, a website called should i use a carousel.com um, and spoiler, the answer is no, but at least yeah. it, it does explain why. So, um, yeah, it's worth having a look at that if you need the ammo to to discuss. Yeah. But email's never had that capability. So mm. email has always been just a series of those messages or those images. And then it's forced you to have to make that decision as, right, I can't have all these images in here. I can't have all these messages because, number one, no one's scrolling down this long. Mm. Number two... Up until recently, sending loads and loads of images and email was just a complete and utter no-no anyway. Mm. Um, and number three is that unless you had a department that could do things with those images and overlay text and all the bits you need over these images, you couldn't use them as background images. You couldn't put text over the top of them. So 
it's never been there. You know, we've always, email designers have always had to work with these limitations. And sometimes that can lead to good copy by accident because your choices that you've got are so limited that you're forced to, to make that succinct. As we said, unfortunately, the other problem with being slow to evolve is that social comes out and completely blows it out of the water <laughs> with all this amazing stuff that it can do. And you're like, oh, no, I should have done that. And then you think, oh, I could have done that. That's just... That's just, I suppose. I do wonder sometimes when I when I have conversations with with companies that follow as opposed to lead, and mm. I, and I do mm. wonder sometimes the examples that we give time and time again. You know, the bigger retailers. You know, do what is it so that's so different about them? Is it that they're given mm-hmm. the opportunity to think more innovatively? Is it that they have more resource, more money, more access to the technology? Or is it something else? Because I've seen some pretty small organizations with some pretty small budgets do some incredible looking designs and and actually do some coding that I'd never seen before, at least at the time that it's just kind of collapsible menus within within email. Yeah. And I just I kind of wonder what your thoughts are on I guess more on the innovation side and thinking beyond what is current, I guess, best practice or, or good design? Some of it's down to the people, and you must have yeah. come across this several times, Elliot, where you can you, you get bought into a small company and there's just a dynamic person there. It's like, well, I just want to do this. I want, you know, I'm only at a small company. Maybe I'm looking for the next step in my career or maybe I'm just really into making things amazing or maybe my, my job is so boring, I just want to play <laughs> with the latest tech, whatever it may be. They're just going to pioneer it and they're going to say oh we could do this let's make this amazing and it could just be down to that one person budget dependent obviously but even a small budget you can you can do some really cool things if you're happy to manage it and find the right people the larger brands yep budget helps it always helps because not only have they got the money to spend on the tools but they're going to have a library of assets because they're a big brand. They've got stuff all over the place and they can pull resources from all over. They can, they can find assets. They can find imagery. They can find artwork and they can do these lovely things. But another thing that has to be kind of thought about is that if I'm a company and I'm developing the next big thing, the next big innovation in any marketing, let alone email, where am I going to target? Where am I going to take my innovation to? Who's going to be my hit list of people that I'm going to want to talk to to try and sell this into? It's not going to be the small company. It's going to be the big company. So I'm going to go and I'm going to approach these big brands and say, hey, did you know you can do this? And if we do this and put this in place, we can work on your engagement and probably boost your ROI. And this will be amazing. And those are, they're being targeted with this technology. So yes, they're leading it. But in some circumstances, they're leading it because they happen to be in a place where people want to show them stuff. And unfortunately, if you're in a smaller company, you're, you're not on that wish list for these innovators that may be looking for funding or looking for the next big thing. Yeah, see, the challenge is, I guess, see, I was going to say the opposite. Really? <laughs> okay, oh, well, go, go for it, go on. <laughs> um, so there's, businesses get to a certain point, and, and I think all of this kind of comes down to the, the culture of the business and their appetite for risk as a wider thing, not just in the email channel um and i think sometimes the larger organizations whether they're retailers high street retailers or you know wherever they are they end up being very risk averse because email makes them so much money they don't want to do anything to jeopardize it um i remember fairly early on in my career i worked with 
a, a, a very well-known brand and they wouldn't even do segmentation because they were happy making a ridiculous amount of money sending the same email to everyone. And they wouldn't, no matter what we did, they wouldn't buy, um, you know, going, going further with it. Equally, I worked with an airline, which I probably shouldn't say who it was, but you can work out which of the British airlines it might be. But, um, and, I'm subtle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's more than once, that's fine. Um, and, and when Responsive was first coming out, we were saying, you know, this would be great, great opportunity. We've worked out how to, how to do it. Here's an example of it working in your email. And they wouldn't go for it because no one else had done it. And as soon as the second brand, you know, some other brand had done it, it wasn't nowhere in the industry, anything like that. Then they were like, oh, this is great. We should do it. It's like we had the code. We could have done that first. But you end up with this sort of uh, hesitance to want to do it. Whereas I think there's a sort of sweet spot of, not quite startups, but perhaps brands that have got a little bit of startup mentality, that kind of scrappiness, that, you know, maybe being a bit of a disruptor, um, trying to just, you know, get away, uh, uh, chip away at the kind of dominant brand in their space. And they, they see little bits of innovation like this is a great opportunity to do that. So I think those are, are the brands that you see doing more interesting stuff. I think that kind of top level, they do get very... Uh, very kind of conservative in, in what they want to do, just because there's so much money involved and they don't want to risk it by by doing um, anything particularly interesting, I suppose. Um, but I guess if they're if they're the followers, hmm. they are also the more visible, perhaps, than their, their competitor yes. who is smaller, less visible, less kind of yes. market share. Yeah. So even if that smaller organisation was scrappier and was able to come up hmm. with that innovative hmm. new design or whatever it may be, they might not get the credit for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you do see you've that. You got the a bigger lot. brand that's a hundred percent. That's true. I mean, what you're saying is, is is perfectly valid, but I still argue that the exposure to these tools nine times out of ten comes at that higher level. That's true. Yeah, and and so and and that probably ties this whole discussion together in that that's why the the credit is there because the smaller innovative guys that did it, you know, you've got one of them. The minute it works, you've then got twenty big brands mm. with enough money and enough exposure to it to turn around jump on board and say hey we had a very similar problem with a high street retailer uh, one of the i'd say the big five same with responsive mm. they just didn't want to do it but the reason they didn't <laughs> want to do it wasn't really a trust in technology it was because their workflow was even at the size and scale they were they outsourced all their design to another country mm. um, somewhere very very far away where <laughs> as we know things are incredibly cheap and their emails were literally an image. Yeah. And so they didn't want to, to break it up. They wanted it to look like their kind of catalogue or their the double-page spread they took in the, the, the mail on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a real shame when, when companies do do that. And I guess kind of just coming back to the technology piece, um, Elliot, you mentioned mm. AMP, yes, which mm. is a very new kind of tech piece of tech yeah. could you tell us a little bit more around what you know of amp and and the power that it's gotten do you even know do you know anyone who's been using it yeah sure um so as a bit of an overview so amp is um so you might be familiar with kind of plain text versus html right and amp is another version of, of email um so you you would build your html version then you'd also build an amp version and you send a kind of multi-multi-part with, with another extra bit of slack on. <laughs> what basically happens is when a compatible email client reads that, it goes and grabs a JavaScript file, a sort of safe JavaScript file. We've never been able to use JavaScript before because it's got lots of potentially nasty stuff in, but Google have made 
a safe thing that we can kind of hook into and use. Um, so it goes and grabs that off Google and then lets us do things like carousels, but also to kind of visual things. Um, but also it lets us interact with a server. So for example, you could do searching. There's a sort of examples of, I think, maybe a, a booking.com type email where someone's searching for a hotel and it's giving the results back into the email. So it kind of saves you going into the into the email, into the, the website. Also things like recruitment, for example, you could get job results and refine lists and that kind of stuff. So that's a kind of overview of, I guess, what the technology does. Now, the challenge is with it, to be able to send it, you need an ESP that can do those multiple, mm. the extra multi-part bit. And there's a few of them that are around. There's a few that are rumored to be announcing support. It's by no means a given that your ESP will have that. Also, from a production standpoint, it means you've got to make an extra version of HTML. It means every time the prices change, you've got to update another version of the HTML, all that kind of stuff. So your team is, is going to be working harder to do it. Um, and then what that basically means is then when your email lands in a, comp- a, a compatible email client, which is at the moment um, Gmail or Outlook.com um, and a couple of other fairly kind of outlier ones, then you will get this this AMP experience. Um, you do have to go through some hoops to get approval from... I know Gmail, but also presumably Outlook. They're just sort of in beta at the moment. So that's kind of the steps that you would have to take, I suppose. Now, there's a little bit of a kind of ethical discussion because email, we talked a bit about social. If you want success in social, you end up basically paying Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, right? Like you end up paying a lot of money to get your adverts seen in front of people because they're very clever about not letting you do that for free. You can get so far and then you have to start paying your way. And... The kind of discussion there is that, you know, email is a, a very um, open channel. Obviously, you have to pay your ESP a bit of money and, you know, th- there are some charges to get stuff done, but it's not like there's a central body that is controlling everything. Some people see AMP for Gmail as a bit of a movement towards Google controlling the inbox. So there is perhaps a bit of discussion there and there's some good blog posts around that. Just kind of flag that as, you know, that's potentially a challenge to this. Now... On the flip side, it does deliver a great experience. It helps us do things that we could never really do in email before and ultimately will give better value to the the user. So there's some brands that we've seen do it, as with anything, and in fact, it goes back to just our conversation previously about innovation. Actually, you know, we we tend to pick out one email and say, this is a really good email, and then we forget that the brand's done a 100 other emails that are the sort of standard of normal email, but yeah. they, they don't get pulled out. And every brand is like that. And I think um, the examples that we've seen of AMP so far are like that. They're the one email in 100 that, that a brand has actually done and got going. So it's too early to see whether it's it's success in terms of every email that a brand is sending is an AMP email. I guess you could argue, though, if you, if you take sort of five, six years back when people started to transition into responsive email... Mm. That one email out of a hundred that was yeah, responsive exactly. was the, the example there. Yeah, everyone yeah. Used. and now, and now is still some you know, that... the, you've got the outliers that don't have responsive mm. design. If you're out there, get your email <laughs> responsive because I'm really sick to death yes, of please, seeing please do. <laughs> emails that are not. Um, I think and, without though, it's it's also there's a bit there's a bit more of an investment with mm. with with that yeah. than there there is with responsive emails. You're 100 percent right. Everyone's emails should be responsive. But without your with with responsive emails, you're not making two sets of emails. You know the code is kind of integrated and works like yeah. without you literally are generating a whole new entity. So until 
they can make things truly kind of real time where the content can drive in. Um, as lovely as it is to be able to hit a live poll in an email or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, um, the the challenges kind of outweigh the investment at the moment. So I think you'll see, um, and especially the Google argument is, it's it's an internet thing, isn't mm. it? People love a love a not even conspiracy. I don't know yeah, what you yeah. call it, but they love that kind of thing. So that's always going to be in the background. But mm. the fact that it is, or it, it seems to be only web mail clients. Yeah, at, at the, the moment. moment, I think it's meant that's to be coming to Gmail, mobile at some point, but it's it's not there yet. Mm. So I, I, it's it's a, it's a much kind of bigger investment, and it's yeah. not driven by device. It's probably if anything driven by what it's delivering to the end user yes and we've never seen anything geared really towards what it delivers the end user before in this industry apart from the gdpr and yeah. we all know how everyone loved that so you know it's got a long way to go around great. i think the other question around its success is ultimately we can do all this stuff on the web really mm. well yeah we have 100%. great websites that can do all this stuff we can save a click getting people into the mm. into the website, but ultimately, um, does saving that click generate the results? You know that the extra effort to save that does it actually mm. save or generate any extra kind of revenue that wouldn't have happened anyway. Um, that's I think what will make it or break it. And it won't match the web experience for an incredibly long time. Yeah, no, so, that gap is. Yeah. Is that divide is getting too too big? Mm-hmm. But I guess mm-hmm. kind of there there are ways that that gap is is getting smaller. And you know we've talked about AMP. Um, what other techniques have, have you come across that are beginning to bridge that gap between um, between email, the kind of more basic traditional methods of of, of kind of doing email creative, and, and where web is? We're we're putting together a, a kind of piece, a guide at the moment on kind of real time content and, and kind of live live um, kind of assets within the email that comes across. These can be incredibly basic things all the way up to knowing exactly what you were looking at on the site when you were shopping a minute ago and streaming it full of the products that you're interested in, right through to competitions, what the weather's like, you go into a sports stadium or you're sitting there, the weather's going to be this and at mm. half time they've got this on. All this, And then when you go into the email again, there are brands out there, or sorry, there are suppliers out there uh, that will then be able to make that email different. So anytime you look at it, it reacts to whatever's happening and going on. And these are all things that we've seen on the web for years now. And and these are the kind of things that, that we're seeing where people are trying to make email much more immersive. So they're trying to, again, like the AMP experience and like well, whatever technology they're using to do it, is to try and make people, and this is the kind of weird thing about it, stick to that email. Mm. So someone goes into the email and where we've just had, however long we've been talking about, about short messages, succinct, social, these quick things, there are companies out there, suppliers, who are seeing incredible ROIs for brands based on getting people to stay on that email or even look at that email more than once, more than twice. And this is totally unique for us as email designers because we've always been the, we've always been the doorway. We've, we've spent our lives designing what is essentially a doorway piece for so someone would go to someone, they'd look at it, get the message and, and then they'd go somewhere else to do kind of what they needed to do. The fact that now people can return and it changes, all that, that is very different. The issue that everything like that is going to have is that, as we've, as we've said, I think a couple of times already in this podcast, unless the email clients change to enable people to have that experience within their client, 
then you're still at the mercy of whatever version of Outlook yeah. that you've got to display this thing in and keep returning and organize stuff. It's not like going on the web and going www.whatever and up it comes and you know where it is and you bookmark it. You've got your inbox, search mm-hmm. for it. And then why would, you know, the web is so, the web is such an engaging channel that trying to, sometimes trying to replicate that on an email isn't great design. And that actually use the email for what it's good for, which is to drive people to that really immersive thing. Because then, then you've got, and the job of email many times is, is to do that, is to be that facilitator. And it does it very, very, very well and has done for you know well, over a decade now. Hmm. What experience have you had, Elliot, with um, that kind of live, live content? Yeah, we've, we've used it a bunch of times. So I think there's broadly two reasons why you, you use it um, as a marketer. Um, the first is because you don't know the information at the time that you send. So, for example, things like countdown clocks, you don't know when they're going to open, so you can say, hey, um, you know, it's now uh, two hours left till this goes out, so that kind of stuff. But also um, things like uh, you can change products as they go out of stock, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, do things based on the weather, that kind of stuff. So we've done that with a bunch of brands, and it's been successful. We've done some tests. Sometimes it it gets better results. Sometimes it's the same. So it, it is interesting to test. Um, the other, I think, use case for it that is quite interesting is when the production would otherwise be impossible. So, for example, we did a bunch of work for a broadcaster, um, and it was around the time, in fact, I can tell you the precise time, it was um, in the 2017 election. I think it was that one. Was that the one that was uh, less successful than Theresa May had hoped? Was that 2017? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, to put it mildly. So that was... Um, that election and um and what we did was we generated the results in real time and drew all the graphs and then made them and then they all went into the email and then off they went. In fact the code was already loaded into the email, so as soon as the results came in, they were generated automatically and then the email was sent as the results were announced. So that all happened within like five minutes. Um now we did actually stay up a bit to make sure that it worked. Um, and it was a, a fairly tumultuous election. And there were some counts that got redone multiple times. Um, I think it was Amber Rudd gave us some challenges there, making sure that it works. But yeah, that ultimately, that would have been impossible or would have been a lot more work to sit up using Photoshop all night to try and make the images and then make sure they're correct. And yeah, you, that's the sort of stuff you can't get wrong. So being able to automate that stuff and do it in a very quick but also non-error-prone way is very effective. Mm. So I think that's that's a place where this technology is actually really useful and we don't explore it enough because we're too busy going, oh, great, we'll just put a countdown in, in it. Um, I've yeah. actually seen a really... And I actually didn't, didn't realise that you could do this with live content, but um, a, a company live-streamed mm. the New York Fashion Week mm-hmm. as it was happening wow. in the email because in, in, it was obviously only targeted within Gmail because it wouldn't yes, work with yeah, any of the yeah. others. But given that the vast majority of their users were on Gmail, they just went for the plunge. So they actually live-streamed the whole thing. And then as the whole as kind of that particular session finished, they then had a recording of it with the YouTube video and I thought that's pretty clever to be able mm. to live stream that kind of stuff. So something like the election, which is 
can can create some hilarity. I, I do recall <laughs> Theresa May with that. Was it the night? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's I can't right. remember yeah. what it was called. So uh, I think Buckethead. Lord, Bucket, Lord Buckethead. Yeah, Lord Buckethead yeah. behind her. I think that was that would have been great to, to have yeah. that in a in a live stream <laughs> video. Yeah, um, incidentally, really fun bit of work to to work on. I'd never really you know been involved in that kind of stuff before, but um, yeah, the broadcasters they were doing um, the entire process. They did an, an election a night for five nights previously um, using the old data. So we had this bit of technology working and all the emails sending to dummy addresses, like really proofing it. Like, you know, that's the kind of often email you can't do it once and send it out. And if it's wrong, fine, you'll get it right next time. But just to be able to do that amount of getting it right was, was really interesting. That's really impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I mean, I think things like these, these tools, they do engage the people behind the scenes, yeah. the people making yeah. the emails. You know, it takes, you know, what is a very kind of, samey production process and turns it into something exciting for, for a period of time mm. and there are as you said with, with some bits of real-time content when you, when you need to get something that you don't have out before before it's there then yeah it's absolutely perfect the the interesting thing about live streaming in an email in an email would be it's it would be a, a case again of someone in their inbox so it's an interesting choice to make to have a live stream in an email rather than have a button which would have been yeah. what normally would have happened of a, a kind of fallback screen with a play button you click and then it would go through to a website where potentially you you have that kind of toss-up as, as to what was the thing what was in the, the person's mind said you know it'd be great let's do this in an email let's not send people to a website let's do it in an email and when we talk about the people picking up on the innovations and who's kind of championing this stuff it takes someone to say do you know what this would be really cool if we did that. And they'd have their reasons for it and they'd get this. And it would be very interesting, actually, to see the stats of it, to see how long people were there, how long people were watching it, mm. whether they had a fallback to take people to a website and the difference is there. Because as I said, when, when we talk about all this kind of real-time content and, you know, the weather thing, yeah, it's a bit of a gimmick. It's kind of cool. But if people can keep coming back to their emails, will people do that? Would people do that? I don't know. It's, well, it's, it's, definitely, cool it's definitely an argument for it. There's plenty, I mean... We, we've been quite quiet around the providers that, that, that do this, but I've seen some pretty incredible ROI stats from oh, all yeah. of them yeah, yeah. around around those those emails. And it's not I, it's not just about ROI; it's also around the engagement. I, I heard where there are um, teams in the US that on game night or game day, in the mm -hmm. case of baseball, which played, they will, if you go back to the email, they'll know where you're sitting because of your ticket. And yep. they will tell you which is the kiosk closest to you that has mm -hmm. the shortest queue. So when you want your beer and your, your hot dog, you, you can queue for less and you miss less of the That's inverted cool. quotes action. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and that's incredible. That is, you know, if I was there... And I knew I could either queue for 45 minutes at this kiosk or for five minutes at this other one. I would, and I knew that I would keep going back to those emails. Mm. And I think that very same provider, um, I assume it's the same provider that boasts something like 300% increases in, in engagement. And their whole mantra is that visual is so much more effective than reading words. It, it yeah. just, it, so, and, and that's how they put all this together. And there's a lot of brands adopting what they're doing and, and it, it is effective and it's, you know, but again, oh, sorry, I just hit the table, but it's one of those fun, um, it's one of those fun things for the people making the email as well, because, hey, I can do this, and I, how can I push this, and how can I test this, and how can I make this 
that most, you know, that, that the best email I can and maybe win a DMA award or whatever it is that they're kind of aiming for. It makes you proud of the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, and and exactly I think right. this is, this is something I used to say to, to, to our clients is if you're sending out an email that you're not proud of and that you wouldn't read, why are you sending it? Like, yes, yeah, maybe so it's not hundred percent relevant to the services that you might buy, but if you're not proud of it, why on earth are you sending this crap looking email? Let's just get real here. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think it doesn't matter what service you sell. It doesn't matter if it's really dry. It, you can still present it in a way that is interesting to a human being and that you, you could feel proud of it. You could take it to an interview with your next employer and say, I am proud of this email. And I think that that is something that I think gets lost in the, I just need to get it out mentality that a lot of people have. And I think, you know, yeah. Elliot, you, you, you're, you know, the, the crux of, of one of the businesses that you, that you run is around that process and streamlining the activities between, between teams. Yeah. I heard this, uh, I think I've stolen this from a conference talk somewhere, but this idea of sort of trust tokens is interesting. So you kind of, over time, your audience trusts you and they you know build up their, their trust in you and then it only takes one bad experience mm-hmm. maybe a bit of over mailing around black friday or whatever it is and it destroys that, those trust tokens and then you've got to build it all back up again and i think that um that that's so true like you and, and deep down we are all humans most of us and we we know what it's like to receive email and deep down we know when we're chancing our arm and when we're sending stuff that isn't quite what we should be sending, not that any of us here do that, obviously. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> but, not. But, you know, we, we know this stuff and sometimes you do have to hit a result or whatever it is. But also it, it's so important to put yourself in the place of the audience and, and understand and, and know, you know, what, what the experience is they're getting. And would you be happy getting that experience? And, and don't do it if you wouldn't be happy to, to receive it. I think that's a really good point. And we've we've talked quite a bit around the technology that's available and the history of creative. But let's say for our listeners who maybe are not as familiar or don't really know how to get started in improving their creative, where where can people start? So, you know, maybe they're starting a new email program or maybe they just want to scrap what they've been doing and, and start from scratch. Where, where would you recommend that people start in improving their creative or building something new that i think there's a shameless plug for you here (laughs) yeah so you could work with uh either of our companies Um, uh, so i think the best place to get started is is what we were talking about at the start right is is think about the message think about what it is that you're going to that you're trying to communicate and then think about the best way to communicate it and work out what it is that is the priority for your business versus what is what it is that the audience wants to receive and try and make those things marry up. That's ultimately what we're doing. And you can do that very simply and you can do that very complex ways, but ultimately everything should be kind of working in that lens. Um, in terms of where to get started, like there's plenty of ways to make email. There's plenty of builder tools. Sometimes they're in ESPs, sometimes they're standalone. Um, you know, you can also email code is an enigma sometimes, but once you master it, it, <laughs> It kind of changes very slowly, then all at once, and there's places to keep up to date with with how it changes. But um, you know, once you've kind of mastered the code, it's it's a good kind of asset to have. There's places to learn that kind of stuff. There's either courses you can go on. There's lots of stuff on the web about how to get the basics of coding. 
um, especially in email. And then also there are some example templates you can download as well. So in terms of you know tactical places, those are good places to go and have a look. So Google is your friend there. Um, yeah, but but really, I think the key thing is considering that message. If you if you don't nail that, then nothing else will. You know, it might give you an incremental benefit here and there, but ultimately, nothing else will will save you. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is the, the message is the most important thing, mm. um, and understanding what you know. Some people design for a medium, and some people design what they want, and then consider how to adapt it to that medium. Mm. The latter always has the better result. If you are purely designing for a media, all those constraints, your creativity is gone. Straight away, you've got, right, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. You're literally living in a world of can'ts. If the medium isn't there and you design something and it's great and then work with people that understand those mediums to adapt it and change it, you can get the best message on all the different mediums from your true creative, the true thing that you kind of want to do. The interesting thing that you raised there was the builders within the ESPs. Mm. And one of the things that has hindered creative is the fact that the ESPs come with a builder in it. And a lot of people are given an ESP. They start work, they're in a marketing department or they start their email design, whatever it may be. Here's our ESP. Don't worry. There's a drag and drop builder in it and you can create whatever you like. <laughs> it's really simple. And they live in that world. And that's what they know. And they might have some assets. Oh, I've got that banner from the, uh, what we did last week. And I've got some images of the post. But they put it together in this drag and drop. And that's it. And that builder has a set of code and a set of badges. And it just delivers what it delivers. If you live in that environment, your creative is going to be, again, bound by that. There was a, there was a period of time, certainly, I, I don't know whether either of you two experienced this, but where... Email was perceived as a little bit valueless in terms of its cost to a lot of businesses. Um, when you looked at some of the bigger ESPs <laughs> that handed out free or very cheap prices, oh, to yes. send an email had no value. It yeah. was the cheapest commodity out there. So the sales director or the market would come and go, oh, well, sales out, send another email. Yeah. And it would be someone in marketing and they'd cobble something together. I don't get, just get it out, get it out, get it out. That's when email's really bad, really, really, really bad. And it loses its value completely mm. if you start from the design and the creative and someone genuinely looks like wow this is an amazing campaign what how can we get this out there then you're going to tell them go right we need to get this into an email what do we invest to get this to look as true to that and i think elliot summed it up brilliantly you start with that message you start with your creative design what you want be true to it and then work out how and work with it. someone who knows email i think yeah from 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 my side i've worked for a lot of ESPs and one of the pitfalls I tend to see is that, oh, yes, we'll get our designer to do a design or we'll get our web team to do a design. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you either get something that is designed as a website or something that is designed as a DM piece. Yeah. And so I think my one advice to go alongside what, what um, Elliot and, and Dan have said is work with someone who understands email, who understands the constraints, but isn't bound by those constraints and if your ESP does limit you in terms of design and you want to push that boundary you do have that flexibility it's ultimately HTML what a lot of ESPs try to do is simplify it for those that maybe don't have that that skill set yeah, but you can definitely do it most will have some HTML editor that you can push those boundaries but work with someone who knows what they're doing 
and that can kind of push those those edges. Are there any particular creative no-nos that you would that I guess what is your biggest creative pet I'll rephrase it what is your biggest creative pet peeve uh, well it used to be that the IT department were doing it because it was it was email <laughs> that was that was the biggest one years yes. and years ago but uh, I don't know go on you um, you jump in on this one so I, I would say um, all image email is I think the biggest creative no-no and it, and it is for a couple of reasons now I'll define that as all image email, not email with images in. So images absolutely have a place, but not as just one massive image that has the entirety of your design or a few massive images. Um, and the reason for that is because, and you do see this, you know, sort of traditionally you see this in the fashion industry because we need to have the special brand font and all of this kind of stuff, which is important, but sometimes you can't do the font you need in email, so then you do it all as an image and there we go, off from there. There's two main challenges to that. One is accessibility, which is, thankfully, we are looking at email, in email now. Email has been very difficult to deal with in terms mm-hmm. of code for a long time, but now we've we've got to a position where it's not perfect, but we know we know what email code is, and now we can look more at accessibility. Um, and also, we kind of, yeah, it, it's more prominent thing. There's legislation and things like that we need yeah, to consider. Cool. So with accessibility, um, we need to be considering what is the experience for people who are using screen readers? What is the experience for people who are using um, whatever assistive technology um, they want to use, but also people who have epilepsy or people who have... Um, uh, dyslexia or um, anxiety or any of these things. Or who wear glasses, yes, which or, is yeah. something like 70% of the population. Yeah, and if you spend your time staring at a smartphone, then yeah, you're, you're going to need bigger some glasses. text than eight font. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, the point there is if all of your content is locked up in an image, a screen reader isn't going to be able to deal with it. And you, there are some fallbacks, but not very good. Um, so, the, basically, all of this leads to coding responsible content where it has your content in HTML that a screen reader can access and you can go from there. Now that helps you with responsive as well, so that's great. You can reformat that content a lot easier. Um, And also, um, from a design perspective, there are things to consider. So epilepsy, for example, if we're doing lots of GIFs in email, that's great, but don't give people epileptic seizures because you've got massive flashing stuff in your emails, especially email is a a push medium, right? People don't necessarily have the choice to, to get our emails um, or at least they you know they do have the overall choice but they they haven't opted out of getting a gif sent to them well they don't know what's going to appear yeah that's exactly yeah. you open it up and it's yeah there isn't it so i think that that's very important it's something we we absolutely need to be considering the other reason i think all image emails are a massive challenge is because you know we are in london i know they don't want to be london centric here but um you know the tube has wi-fi right and it's horrendous um sorry tfl and Virgin Media, but um, the the Wi-Fi basically works in the stations and not on the on the train. And uh, there's a massive technical challenge. So fine, you know, whatever. But that means if you're trying to use your email on the tube, just as a you know out there example, you download the email in the station. It pulls out because it's only in the station for ten seconds on a good day. And so what that means is you download your email, but you, usually by the time you've actually opened your email, you've got the code for the email, but you haven't got the image. Mm. So that means if you've got an all-image email. No one's going to, like you said, no one really comes back to an email. And if we don't get that message across, regardless of whether they can click or not, 
Um, we've lost. But that, it's not. It's not you know, you mentioned job. it not being London centric. I was in Dublin last week. They mm. only have three G. Yeah. So exactly. You know, when when you're looking at an email that is going to take a long time to download those images, yeah. people are just going to switch off and they're going to move on to the next exactly. one because you, you don't have enough time. Remember those America, PDF then? flyers that used to come and yeah. you used to have to print them? <laughs> exactly. And then people were like, I'm not printing that. All that yeah. ink they're using. <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah. same thing. I'm not using all my data on your email yeah. to get 20 exactly. pairs of shoes as a massive image. And if you travel, you know, I went to America recently, it was... Uh, ridiculous, like ten yeah, pounds roaming, for yeah. five hundred miles. You, know, you don't really want to bother doing exactly. It. So, so what that means basically is we need to make sure that our email works with images not turned off. Now, the definition of works isn't going to be the same as it looks the same, but you know we should communicate that message. That message should be in HTML, in text, and then supported by great photography, live imagery, all of these great technologies that we can do. But it shouldn't be the only um, way that we communicate that message. Yeah. And you mentioned font size, so it's not just accessibility mm. for people that might have a disability or using screen readers with it, but also a lot of people might not be able to function with an eight-point mm. uh, font size going down. I mean, it's, it, it's tiny. The other thing you need to think about is responsive as well, is if you are designing an email and you're thinking about the responsive and, and it's kind of just folded, collapsing on top of itself and then stacking down the pages, how long is that email yeah. going to be? It's a massive no-no is to create something that's long on a desktop, let alone when it starts folding and you're scrolling. I mean, that's a real big kind of design no-no as well. So you've really got to watch the content that goes into that email. We talk about, um, you know, when, when we spoke about kind of social and, and bringing people through and, and engaging people quickly, although the space in theory isn't finite, when you're designing for email, you need to be very aware of the space that you've got. You go on to website you know landing pages you look at something like lead pages something like they're creating these converting landing pages image text then there's a five testimonials another image or oh, you can do this with this and then you get down and down and down and there's a form that, that you convert we don't have that luxury in email i mean those pages are, are long scrolling pages our landing pages or our emails that are essentially those landing pages convert have to be much much shorter than than on the web mm-hmm. so one of the biggest no-nos is just to create this kind of ever scrolling email that is an absolute no no yeah i agree with that and i think also it is something that is perhaps a little more acceptable on the web because you have the technology Mm -hmm. you've got javascript and you've got more advanced css that you can do to help people navigate through Mm -hmm. a long page um you know you can kind of collapse areas of page that kind of stuff you can't really do that in email so therefore you do have to keep the message short and sweet 100 a few very very good points around email creative no-nos i think for for the benefit of, of our listeners, there is a website that I use all the time for inspiration, which is really good emails. Mm. And it does what it says on the tin. Uh, <laughs> it showcases the best of emails across pretty much every sector, every type of email that you, that you might want to find out what they're sending out. Um, they, they, really do showcase the, the the kind of cream of the crop. Um, so I suggest if you're looking for somewhere to start, it's a good place. Um, do you have any places you could recommend for either advice or places where people can visit around email creative? And, and this is a really good opportunity to do some shameless plugs. Yeah. <laughs> about the DMA, maybe, yes. Yeah. So there is the DMA website where there's lots of kind of advice and, and guidance there. And 
more to come, shall we say? Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, as Elliot said, Google is your friend here. There are loads of there are loads of good blogs out there and people writing uh, those kind of things. There's even some authors within our own uh, council uh, producing books and stuff. But I think that um, when you're actually, there were a couple of things on beta list, two very good and new. Uh, marketing um, sites that have just come out with all kind of examples of campaigns how they've stripped it between the channels and the medium if I get them I don't know whether there's a comment section or something to go along with this we, but we I'll can try definitely and, put something in the I'll show I'll try notes. and see if I, if, I, if I can dig them up but there are lots and lots of um, places it, the funny thing is it's easier to find the bad than the good as with anything if you type into Google worst emails ever you'll get a <laughs> million results of people telling you why but normally the big brands, they don't get it wrong for long. If they're putting out emails, it's they're looking at the responses they're getting back. They're, they need an ROI. They need an engagement. Otherwise, they change it up and they make sure that they're getting that ROI. So a lot of the brands that you're following will give you that inspiration and they'll give you some really good things. We break them down in the DMA Council all the time. Um, and I think that most people have subscribed to their favorite brands. And if you do that and you're getting these emails in all the time and looking at them, look at them in a different way. Don't just look at them to buy the product that's coming out there, but have a look and see if you can work out why that email has gone straight from there to there to there and boom, and you're done. And, and the journey that you did as well. So if you picked up that email, go, oh, I saw that. Oh, brilliant. Click. That's, you know, what's good for one is normally good for many in that kind of guys. So that's a great place to start. Um, yeah, and in terms of um, staying up to date as well, I think, yeah, as I said, you know, email changes very slowly then all at once, and especially from the code side of things, there's, there's definitely a few places to keep an eye on. Um, so one of those is uh, both Litmus and email on Acid have resources from the code sort of side of things, both on their blogs and the sort of community um, sort of things on their site. So those are worth having a look at. Um, there's also on the code side of things, Campaign Monitor has a bunch of really good resources like what CSS you can use, that kind of stuff. So that's worth um, looking at if you're involved in email code. Um, also, as you mentioned, really good emails. They um, put a lot of information out there. Um, the email geeks hashtag on Twitter is generally pretty good. It can get a little polluted with kind of, you know, people sharing blog posts and stuff like, you know, promo ones, but there is some good stuff on there. There is actually a really good community of people on Twitter still, even though Twitter itself is somewhat challenging sometimes. Um, so that, that's worth a look at. And then also there's, um, aside from the DMA as well, does a, a bunch of good stuff. There's um, a Slack group called the Email Geeks Slack group, I think. Yeah, Something I think like that. Yeah, Geeks, yeah. Um, so that's uh, email.geeks.chat. You can sign up for that. And there's a whole bunch of people on there. Um, and you can kind of be as involved as you want to. There is a huge amount of daily discussion, but also there's there's a lot of specific stuff about code and about strategy and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's worth checking out that stuff. I think often people who work in email are the kind of one person in a team and it can be... Lonely. Yeah, <laughs> somewhat lonely. And also it, it's also quite sort of affirming when you do get people together, like I do sort of coding workshops sometimes and, and we do you know you go to conferences and things like that and you get all these people who are kind of like oh you're actually the same as me and you've got all these challenges as well it's actually quite nice to, to like see a herd that. of unicorns isn't it yes <laughs> yeah, absolutely exactly. i think these um these groups can really help to mm. 
either affirm what you've been doing or give you some inspiration of, of where where to go there's there's another one i would add on top of that which is uh women in email it's yes. a facebook group and that that also it's a slightly different angle it's a it's again it's a global group um definitely get involved if you are interested in any of that kind of stuff and and it's being not being very shameless in terms of his plug. Action Rocket's emails are also yes. pretty good in... Uh, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. So email his own company. <laughs> Could have pushed that one. Yeah, yeah but I, I'm so uninvolved in email weekly now. I, I always see it and I think, oh, I really want to do something. And then my life is basically spreadsheets now, so it's, it's less less email code. But, yeah, email weekly goes out every week on a Friday. Um, so you can get that at emailweekly.co um, and sign up for that. And you mentioned where people can get started and you mentioned mm. the Litmus blog and you were talking yes. about templates before. There's loads of them on the Litmus have got a, a truckload of, of templates. I think um, Email and Acid have got a lot um, of information around kind of the kind of image fallbacks and the compatibility we've been talking about. Mm. And I think also Zerb have it as well, have quite yes. a few templates and stuff and, and, and construct on that as well. So that's kind of another another place to go if you want those kind of things. Fantastic. Well, thank you both very much for your input. Uh, for those listening, we will put all of the links to all, everything we've mentioned in the notes for the podcast. And I, that's kind of all we've got time for. I really appreciate both of you uh, coming to uh, to talk about email creative um, and for your thoughts and advice. And for those of you listening, if you do want to get in touch, and, and many of you have done, send an email to email at dma.org.uk. You are welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn, as many of you have done. Thank you for your comments and, and kind words. It's helping to kind of shape the way this podcast is going and the kind of topics that, that we cover. If you've enjoyed it and you want to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We are now all over the podcast world. We're not just on SoundCloud. Uh, and if you want to give us five stars, it would definitely be welcome. Uh, we know we're interesting. We know you think we're interesting. So you might as well vote so other people can find this interesting. I've been your host, Lily Boev, and this has been My Dog Ate My Email.